You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Aren't you glad God gave us the Word of God? Amen. I tell you what, before we get into the Word, let's open uh, our message today in prayer. Father, thank you for the Word, the written Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that He is our teacher. He's the one that brings revelation and insight. And Lord, I thank you today. We make up our minds to be hearers of the Word, and we're going to open our hearts, Father, to receive from you. I believe you have something to say to each and every one of us And Father, I thank you that as we hear your word, faith is going to arise in our hearts. And Lord, I believe revelation and insight will come, that we're going to see some things from your word that maybe we've never seen before. And Lord, we'll be mindful, as you say in the book of James, to not only be hearers of the word, but we're going to be doers of the word as well. I thank you for it. Thank you that every person is anointed to hear and to receive, and we take authority over any force that might try and hinder the word from going forth, and we believe you to do great things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, get your hand out. This is week number three in our series called Your Place in Eternity. And I hope this has been helpful to you. This is our, our conclusion for that. We're going to move into some other things next week. But my whole goal in this series, and I believe one of the things that the Lord was wanting to accomplish in us, is we should always be hopeful. You know, there's nothing worse than a Christian uh, that doesn't have any hope. We need to have hope. And so what uh, what these things do is they give us hope, not only of what is happening here in the earth, but also what we have to look forward to in eternity. So I want to just go to the scripture we looked at last week in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And I'm going to read it to you from the Williams translation. It's a really good translation. I like. And it says this, so if you have been raised to life in fellowship with Christ. Anybody been raised to life in here? Anybody? Hold them, hold, hold them big number fives up. All right. If you've been raised to life in fellowship with Christ, keep on seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And this is what I really liked about this translation. Practice occupying your minds with the things above and not with the things on earth. For you have died and your life is now hidden in God through your fellowship with Christ. When we got born again, we died in him in the sense that we lost our lives and took on his life And so what what Paul is telling us here is that God wants us to practice being mindful of things which are eternal, things which are above, and not so much, you know, as we said last week, the Scripture doesn't give us a whole lot of details of the day-to-day activities of heaven, but I believe one of or some of the things that the Lord is really wanting us to focus on is what Jesus did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection, what he did for us spiritually, what he did for us legally, and and how we can live and walk that out on a day-to-day basis. And so, again, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about uh, eternity as far as what it's like over there, but it does give us some light and shed some light on eternal things so that we can be aware of it here on the earth. I guess God knows how human nature is and If he had poured out a whole bunch of information about it, I think human nature is we would have gotten fixated on it. And, you know, God doesn't want us fixated on it so much that we don't function here in the earth. You have a life to live before you're facing eternity, but we need to be aware of eternity before we're encountered with it. So what I want to do is I want to go to a story that Jesus gave us in Luke, the 16th chapter, And this this scripture is very good in in this story that Jesus gave us in shedding some light on what eternity is all about. So let's begin reading in Luke, the 16th chapter, verses 19 through 31. And I'm going to sprinkle in some comments as we 
get into this. It says this, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Now, Jesus, how many of you know, you've heard me say before, Jesus did not do accidental. Jesus didn't do random. So everything that Jesus said was by design and on purpose. So he says that this man was a rich man who was clothed in purple. Now, purple, uh, if somebody wore purple back in that day, it meant that they were very wealthy because purple dye was very hard to come by, and so it was very expensive. And so if you had purple garments, it meant that you had a lot of money and could afford to buy that expensive material. And notice it says that he was clothed in fine linen. Now, what that tells us is that it would be equivalent to you buying a $1,000 suit and going and working a construction site. That doesn't make much sense, does it? Well, this man, because he wore fine linen, that tells us that he did not work uh, a manual job. He did not get out and farm. He didn't, uh, you know, do those types of things that somehow he acquired his, his, his wealth some other way. And so in verse 20, it says, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate, laid at the rich man's gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, Jesus paints this picture of the poor man, Lazarus. Now, what I want you to, to keep in mind about this, you know, as you read this story, and if you could have been there hearing Jesus tell it, it would have seemed very unfair between the lifestyle that the rich man lived and the lifestyle that Lazarus, the poor man, lived. And, and it just didn't seem like life was very fair to the poor man. Well, here's something I want you to always remember, and that is this. Justice may not take place in the earth, but I guarantee you justice always takes place in eternity. Okay? So, it says, so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. You might recall uh, a couple of weeks ago in part one of the series, we talked about what Abraham's bosom was. That was uh, prior to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It was a holding place in the earth, uh, in the center of the earth, where, where people, Old Testament saints, were held until Jesus could come and, and pay the price on the cross and be uh, buried and then raised from the dead. And it says that the rich man also died and was buried. Now, I want you to notice something. Notice it says that there was a funeral for the rich man, but there was not for the poor man. And it says, being in torments in Hades or hell, he lifted up his eyes. The rich man lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So let me paint this picture for you. In this place that was called Abraham's bosom, also, it was called paradise back then. You might remember one of the thieves on the cross when Jesus was hanging on the cross. He said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you get to your kingdom. And Jesus replied to him and said, this day you will be with me where? In paradise. And notice he didn't say heaven. He said paradise. And so the rich man died and went to the lower parts, which was called Hades or hell, and he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham and Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. So there were two regions. You could see one another, but you cannot pass from one place to the other. And so we'll go on and, and see that in just a second. Now, I want to show you something. Notice Lazarus, the poor man, is in Abraham's bosom. Now, I want to say this to you. Lazarus did not avoid hell because he was poor. Being poor does not get you into heaven. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people that think that, though, that think that it, you know, that it, you're, it, the more poor you are, the better off you are spiritually. No, the Bible tells us that he was a believer just by the fact that he was in Abraham's bosom. All right? So it, it says that he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then verse 24, then he cried, the rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger 
in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Now I want you to understand something. I want you to think about what Jesus described the poor man as being like. Remember it said he was full of sores and the dogs would come and lick his sores. But this rich man is so desperate to be relieved from his torment, he is willing to ask a poor man who has sores all over his body to dip his finger in water and stick his finger in his mouth. That's desperate. Okay, so it says that, uh, for I am tormented in this flame, verse 25, but Abraham said, son, Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' evil things, and now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between you, us, and you there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then the rich man said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Now I want you to pay attention to what Jesus is saying. Moses and the prophets is an Old Testament way of saying, they have the word of God, let them hear the word. Now I want to just a little side note, this is free, this won't cost you anything. Notice what Jesus' preference is. The rich man is asking, Lord, um, let a man be raised from the dead named Lazarus and let him go preach to my brothers so that they won't end up where I am. And Jesus said, no, I would rather them hear the word of God and believe than to believe because they saw someone raised from the dead. What that tells me is, Jesus' preference is that faith always comes from hearing the word, not by what you see. You know, we have a mindset in the church that miracles are what causes people to believe. Miracles are not what cause people to believe. Hearing the word is what causes people to believe. You know how I know that? Because there were thousands upon thousands of people in Jesus' day that saw miracles all the time but yet they did not believe. It's the ones that heard what he preached that believed. Can I get an amen? All right, so I want to say this to you. Abraham, again, going back to the scripture, Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. That's not true. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, in other words, if they don't hear the word of God, neither will they be persuaded the one rise from the dead. Now, I want to say this to you. The, the poor man did not go to Abraham's bosom because he was poor. And I want to say this. The rich man did not go to hell because he was rich. Riches do not send you to hell. Can I say this to you? In, our, in, in the day and time that we live, in this church age, if you will, that, first of all, people don't go to hell for sinning. That might be a shock to some of you. People don't go to hell for being homosexuals. People don't go to hell for committing adultery. People don't go to hell for being alcoholics. People don't go to hell because they commit adultery. No, there's only one sin that will cause you to go to hell, and that is rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did. Now, God doesn't want you committing those sins. Don't misunderstand me. Nor, uh, you know, can you skate by in life if you practice those things and claim to be a Christian. But what I want you to see is that we in the church have preached that you need to get right, and then you can come and be saved. No, getting right is, has nothing to do with you getting saved. What, getting saved is receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then the getting right takes place after that. Can I get an amen? Y'all still here? All right. Okay. So what I want you to see, the rich man went to hell in torments because he did not follow the teaching of the Word of God. How do I know that? Well, the scripture in the Old Testament told us 
You remember, they came to Jesus and they said, what's the greatest commandments? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Those were the the things, basically, that they needed to obey. But we know that the way the rich man treated Lazarus, he did not love his neighbor as himself. So he didn't. He really did not hear the word, didn't want to do the word. And here's the bottom line. During his life, he had no place for God, even though he was a Jew living in that time and had opportunities to do the right thing. All right? Now, so I want to spend some time and I want to dissect some of the things out of this story to show you some glimpses of eternity that Jesus Give us. So I'm going to tie and weave this in with us looking at and studying what does the word say about believers that have already gone to heaven. Now, you know, we focused a lot on the rich man and what he went through, but what I want to do is I want to look at that story and glean some truths from it so that we can just gain some perspective of what happens when someone leaves this life and steps over into eternity. Now, I want to say this to you. You do not become an eternal being when you die. You are already an eternal being. It's just death determines what your destiny is going to be. Now, well, let me rephrase that. Your decisions that you make in this life determine your eternal destiny. Death is just the doorway to step into one of those two decisions. Okay? All right, now... So as I shared with you um, last week, I I began to talk about some of these things and I want to expound on them a little bit more. And let me just uh, rehearse a story that I told you at the end of the message last week of how I arrived at some of these things. And that is this, 20 years ago in April of 2002, well, let me back up before that. In the early part of, of from say 2000 to 2002, Uh, I was doing uh, some training in order to uh, get my pilot's license. I was in ground school and uh, was hanging around the the airport a lot. And I've always loved aviation, loved flying. And uh, there was a young man that ended up meeting who worked, actually he worked down at the Rock Hill Airport. And uh, so he was uh, actually in high school at that time and Uh, met him and began flying with him. He already had his pilot's license at 18. And uh, his father was a captain with U.S. Airways at the time, flying 737s and so forth. And so just a a great aviation family. They owned their own airplane. And of course, anytime Thomas wanted to go flying, he could. And so this young man, even at 18 years old, had several hundred hours already in his logbook. So he was doing a lot of flying. And and the thing that I I noticed about him was the fact that he was not intimidated uh, in flying in any way. He could fly anything. If you let him into the cockpit of an airplane, it didn't matter what it was, what type it was, he was not intimidated. And if he picked up a few instructions, he could fly that particular airplane. So over the period of the next couple of years, he and I spent a lot of time flying together Uh, You know, we flew from here to Mobile, Alabama and back and carrying some people and so forth and so on and and just spent a lot of great time in in the cockpit. And as I shared with you, he and I became very close and uh, I began to mentor him. He had given his heart to Christ as a a child, but uh, as he and I became connected, he ended up rededicating his life to the Lord, ended up coming to our church and receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit and was really moving and progressing in his walk with the Lord, and, and uh, things were great. And so I'll tell you uh, one piece of, one detail that I did not share with you last week, and that is um, we were planning on going out of town. We were planning a trip to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and he reached out to me just prior to us going to uh, go to the movies or go out to eat or something like that. And uh, so at this time, he's about 21 years old, 2021. 20, and uh, so I, because I had to get ready for this trip, I did not, I, I told him I couldn't go. And so uh, he, we had that conversation, of course, hung up and so forth and so on. So I went to Minneapolis, did that trip, came back. And when I got back, I flew back into town that morning 
and was at home that afternoon or evening and uh, received a phone call from another friend of ours. Um, and he said, have you heard about Thomas? And I said, no, what happened? And I, you know, I had no, no clue whatsoever. And what had happened is they had had some service done on, he and his dad, on their airplane in Greensboro. And he was on his way driving to the airport in Greensboro to pick up their airplane and uh, had an accident and was killed instantly. And uh, so when I got that news, I was absolutely devastated. I mean, this young man meant a tremendous amount to me. I was really pleased with where, you know, how he was growing in the things of the Lord and so forth. And, and, and I'll be honest, uh, you know, I felt a little guilty because, you know, looking back, I thought, man, should I have, you know, put everything aside, in, you know, when, and when I had the opportunity and gone out to eat with him and hung out with him, you know, this last time. And of course, you know, who knew it would be the last time? And so I really wrestled with these things and I struggled a great deal with this and, and finally went to the Lord in prayer and spent, a, spent some time in prayer and the Lord shared some things with me, very, very special and, and, and just was really precious in the way he ministered to me to help me to get through that particular season. And, uh, and so I, uh, some of these things, if not all of them, whenever I'm conducting a funeral or officiating a funeral, I try, if I can, to share some of these things because it brings comfort and it brings hope. And so I touched on a couple of these things last week, but I want to talk about those things this week. And so this is what the Lord shared with me, and I'll give you some scripture to back it up, all right? So, um, you know, I think all of us have probably at some time experienced the loss of a loved one, uh, you know, hopefully somebody that knew the Lord. And so I want to shed some light on what they are experiencing what life is like for them so that you can fully understand that, okay? Are you with me? All right. So here's the first thing, and I want you to write this down. And uh, this is what the Lord told me. He said, don't think of loved ones as heaven in heaven as though they don't exist anymore. Now, you, I don't want you to go in the ditch with this, but we have a tendency when people have passed away we talk about them in the past tense. They were this. They were that. Oh, oh, oh they were, you know, he was such a wonderful guy. You know, had, was just a, a really, really nice person, okay? And the reason that we do that is we have slipped over in our thinking that, that it's as though they don't exist anymore. No, they do exist. They're very much alive. We'll talk more about that in just a second. They just don't live here in the earth anymore. Matter of fact, the Lord told me, uh, he said this, he said, the only difference between then or, you know, talking about the week before and, and where I was at this particular moment is I cannot pick up the phone and call him. That's the only difference. Okay. So don't refer to people that have passed away and gone to heaven as though they don't exist anymore. They do. They're very much alive. Here's a scripture. Paul said this, he said, we are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present from, with the Lord. So if you are a believer, you have given your heart to Christ, if, if your heart stops beating and your body ceases to function, you do not cease to exist, you simply transition, I like to say it this way, you graduate and you go to heaven, okay? But you're still very much intact, all right? So Paul said this. He said, uh, you know, I'm well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Matter of fact, in this same scripture, he said, I'm kind of torn because I really want to go to heaven, but it's more beneficial for you if I stay here. What that also tells me is that our decisions have a lot to determine that, okay? All right, y'all, make some noise, cough, do something, scoot your chair along, do something, okay? All right, so I mentioned this last week, but I want to talk about this for just a little more detail, and that is this. People over in eternity still possess all their personality traits that they had here. Because when you die, your spirit and your soul, you remember you're made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. 
So your spirit and your soul are attached. And so when you die, your spirit and your soul stay together. So your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's where your personality resides. Your personality doesn't live in your body. Okay, this is just a house. That would be like saying, you know, if I went to a house that we lived in when we first moved to Charlotte, over in South Charlotte, if, if I rode by that house and, and, and I tried to think, say, you know, gosh, that house, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it should be decorated just like, like my mother had it. No, because that's where we used to live. We don't live there anymore, all right? So people that have stepped over into eternity still possess all their personality traits. As you remember, I shared with you how this young man was very funny. And so I believe with all my heart, and I can prove it to you in just a second, that he still has that characteristic in heaven. I believe he, you, you do understand there are funny people in heaven. Heaven is not a boring, dry place where everybody's walking around looking like they're sucking on lemons all the time and just, you know, mean and all that kind of stuff. Heaven is a lot of fun, and it's going to be a great place when we get there. All right, now how do I know this? Well, let's look at what Jesus said in Luke, the 16th chapter. You remember what uh, the rich man said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. What this tells me is the rich man was used to getting what he wanted in the earth. So what did he do? He wanted still to order Lazarus around to take care of him, to serve him, to do stuff for him. So what that tells me is he had his personality. He didn't lose that part of who he was. Matter of fact, I'll say this to you. Notice uh, people will ask me, well, will we know one another when we get to heaven? Did the rich man recognize Lazarus? Yes, he did. So what that tells me is when you step over to eternity, you don't get amnesia. You still remember who people are. Okay? All right? You tracking with me? Okay, so let's go to the next thing. Here we go. People in heaven know, know, N-O, tormenting regrets, nor are they experiencing any sadness. In other words, people in heaven, because this is the way the Lord verbalized it to me where my friend was concerned. He said, he is not in heaven pacing the floor going, I wonder why he didn't call me back. Okay, no, they don't even think that way. They don't have any of those type regrets. Now, I will say this, and the reason I, I put that word tormenting regrets is because in heaven, you might be mindful of some things you would have done differently, but it doesn't torment you. Versus the rich man being in hell, it said that he was tormented in the flame. What was he tormented with? He was tormented with regrets of knowing he didn't live for God and that his brothers, remember his five brothers weren't living for God either. And I'm sure the thought crossed his mind, man, if I had lived differently, would it have impacted them? Would it have made a difference in their life? Okay. Now look at Revelation chapter 21 and verse four. This is an awesome scripture. It says this, that when we are all there, when we're in heaven, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. You know, there's a, a mindset in heaven and we get glimpses of it, of how we should live in the earth. Paul said this, he said, I forget in Philippians, I forget those things which are behind and I press forward to those things which are before. And so what I want you to know is in heaven, people are not uh, dealing with and just going over and over their past like we do here in the earth, okay? Past decisions, past mistakes, because here's what you need to understand. When you step over there, the goodness of God becomes so overpowering, overwhelming to you. I mean, I mean, you're there and you're able to see 
like the scripture says, you're able to see Jesus. We talked about that last week. And now he's the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And, and it begins to sink into us the price that was paid to deliver us from all of that. And you're more focused on that than you are what your past life was like. And if there are any uh, tears of sorrow or regret, the Bible says that God will wipe them away. And I believe when he wipes them away, it, it, it's saying to us, don't, don't, don't worry about that anymore. Don't deal with that anymore. It's all been wiped away. Now, I want to write, uh, want you to write this down. I couldn't, I ran out of room in your notes, but, but write this down, in, down on the side, the bottom or something like that. And that is this, neglected opportunities bring great regrets. Neglected opportunities bring great regrets. I heard Brother Hagin say that many, many years ago, and I've never forgotten it. And the point of it is this, take advantage of every opportunity that you have so you don't end up with a bunch of regrets as a believer. You know, all the wish, I wish I would have, could have, you know, do, do what you can now. Now, we're human. We're, we're going to miss it sometimes, but take advantage of every opportunity that you can so that you do not live with regrets, all right, on this side. Now, again, uh, let's look at Luke 16, 27 and 28. This is where the, the rich man was regretting the fact that he did not steward his life any better than he did and he said, then, then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Here's what his point was. I do not want them to end up like I have. Well, guess what? Um, their decisions are being made while they live. All right? So, but the point that I wanted you to see was, that the, the rich man was dealing with this thing that, um, you know, what, what could I have done to make a difference? You know, with all the regrets from life, can you imagine what it would be like to live in health for, with all of those regrets for all of eternity? Oh, that would be torment enough. I mean, forget the flames, forget everything else about hell. Living with that, going over and over and over that in your heart and in your mind uh, for, for all of eternity, not a day or two, for all of eternity. Man, how tormenting th that would be. Okay, so the rich man did not want his brothers to have to experience that. Here's the next thing I want you to see, and this one's very, very important. People in heaven are no longer conscious of time as we know it. People in heaven are no longer conscious of time as we know it. Time is a thing that's in the earth. Time was started in, when God recreated the earth in the Garden of Eden. Remember, he created, the Bible says, the sun by day and the moon by night. Now, let me show you some scriptures. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 says this, but beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. And the reason that, uh, that I bring this to you is that during that time when the Lord was ministering this to me, he was bringing me uh, to a place of hope to know that when you cross over and you step into eternity, and, and, and this would be the same whether you're in heaven or hell, but in heaven, knowing that we're all going to be back together again at the catching away of the church and so forth, that, that when that takes place, and we don't know when that takes place or will take place, but what I want you to see is to them, it just seems like a moment. To us, it might be years and years and years. I mean, matter of fact, they've been saying Jesus was coming soon when I was a little kid. Anybody else heard that? Okay. Matter of fact, you can read the scriptures where Paul said uh, he, he was encouraging the believers uh, in Ephesus before he was leaving there in the book of Acts. He said, uh, you know, live your life accordingly for the, for the day of the Lord is soon coming. That was 2,000 years ago. So, you know, what has been 2,000 years to us, according to that scripture, has just been two days in heaven. But here's the other thing. 
I want to show you from the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, verses 23 through 25, the city had no need of the sun. This is talking about heaven. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. Now, keep in mind, the sun and the moon are for time. The sun rising in the morning, setting in the evening, the moon coming up in the evening and setting in the morning, all of those things were put into motion in the earth to establish this thing called time. Now, why did God establish time in the earth? Because he knew that human beings would need a regulatory clock so we would know when to work and when to rest. Because human nature is, and we do this, we do it, you know, even with time, you know, we'll be, we would become workaholics and we try and work all the time. And God wanted to set up and establish this clock, if you will, so that human beings, people would know when to rest. I did a little bit of research. I did, let me finish the scripture, and then I'll tell you about my research. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of the God illuminated it. So that means and the, the lamb is its light. So there is light in heaven all the time. So there's no darkness. Matter of fact, there are no shadows. Did you know that? That light comes out of everything in heaven. There are no shadows. And, and so because there's light all the time, therefore there's no darkness. And so there's no setting of the sun, rising of the moon. There is no clock per se in heaven. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. Okay? So, here's the research that I did. Uh, I looked up. Anybody ever heard of the phrase, your circadian rhythm? Okay, well, I'll educate you a little bit. Your circadian rhythm is a clock that was put in you uh, by God. It's an instinctual type thing that, that our bodies are regulated and programmed to function on a 24-hour cycle. And our bodies are designed. Anybody know what happens when it gets dark? What do you want to do? Get ready for bed. Okay? All right. Why is that? Because that circadian clock, that rhythm on the inside of you tells you it's time to rest. Well, think about this. There are parts of the earth above the, in the northern Arctic, uh, you know, and depending on which pole you're at, uh, where it does not get dark for months at a time. And you know what happens? People's circadian clock gets all out of whack because they, there's no difference between daylight and dark. And here you, you know it's uh, two in the morning and it's just as bright outside as it is out there right now. So your clock gets messed up because you no longer have an outside indicator telling you when it's time to rest. That's why, anybody ever worked third shift? Okay, how many of you know it's hard working third shift? Okay, I, back in the day, I worked part-time at a gas station, uh, the Crown Gas Station at Tyvola and South Boulevard. I'm dating myself a little bit. But I, I had to work sh third shift there some, and of course, I was working full-time during the day and uh, so there was a couple of few, you know, nights during the week that I would have to work third shift at that gas station. Well, even though I wasn't busy, I wasn't working all that hard physically, I was still exhausted. Why is that? Because my circadian clock told me that you should be resting now. But I had to work straight through all that. But then I found myself, I couldn't sleep during the day. Why? Because it's daylight outside, and daylight tells you you need to be up. Okay? That's what your circadian clock is all about, and that's what is put in us while we're living here in the earth. But I believe that that's done away, and it will be done away, with our glorified bodies. Let me tell you something. When you get your glorified body, and you're living eternally in that glorified body, you don't need to sleep. You don't need to rest. Okay? Now, somebody says, well, God rested on the seventh day. He did that for an example for us. God does not get tired. You do understand that. 
Again, God is not some grumpy old man that sits in a lazy boy recliner all the time and flips between the channels, all right? I, I just I want us to remember those things, okay? So let me say this to you. One of the things that Albert Einstein discovered, and this is all tied into his theory of relativity. Anybody ever heard of that? Okay. When he started tapping into his theory of relativity, here's what he discovered. The, the faster you travel, when you begin to get to where you can travel at the speed of light, time slows down. Okay. Now, that's why when, uh, we, well, we don't have any vehicles, any spacecraft that could travel at the speed of light. They're trying to acquire that. But here's what, what that means is, is that if you're traveling at the speed of light, what his theory of relativity, part of it, says that if you are able to maintain that velocity, time comes to a standstill. And here's Albert Einstein himself said, the only way I know how to describe that is eternity. So what that tells me is, is that when we step over and we are living in the light of heaven, then time is irrelevant to us. Are, are you listening? Okay. All right, let's go to the next thing. Here's the next one. People in heaven are more alive than when they were in the earth. People in heaven are more alive than when they were in the earth. Now, why is that? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 54, and it has to do with our mortal bodies. It says, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Here's what you need to understand Death is attached to your physical body, not your spirit. And I'm talking about for people who are born again. When you're a Christian, you've done all the dying you're going to do spiritually. Okay? Now, when you are separated from that dying, corruptible, mortal body, you no longer are being touched by death at all. None whatsoever. You know, listen... I want you to begin to understand something. There's no such thing as pain. There's no such thing as aging. There's no such thing as discomfort. All of those things are attached to your physical body. Once you're separated from your physical body, none of those things are relevant anymore. So people that have gone to heaven are no longer being touched by death at all. All right? Now, I can tell you're just thrilled by that. Hallelujah. Here's the next one. People in heaven are aware of what is happening here in the earth, spiritually speaking, and they're cheering us on in our race. People in heaven are aware of what is happening here spiritually and are cheering us on in our race. Now, I want to say this to you, okay? When you stand at your closet and you're getting dressed in the morning, your loved ones in heaven are not standing up there going, no, don't wear that. They don't care about that. Okay? Ooh, that color. Uh-uh. Girl, put that back. No, they're not thinking that at all. They're not thinking about what kind of house you live in, what kind of car you're driving, all of those types of things. But they are aware of what is happening spiritually. Now, what does that mean? They're happening on, on a couple of different levels. Uh, the body of Christ is not two bodies. The church, I mean. You have the church here in the earth, and you have another part of us that are in heaven. And so we are one spiritual body. So they are very much aware in heaven of what is happening in the body of Christ here in the earth. Uh, let me show you a scripture, all right? Hebrews 12, 1 says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So what I want you to see is, is that they are in heaven. They're aware of how you're running your race, which is a spiritual thing. 
and then they are cheering you on. They're wanting you to run your race to victory. They're wanting you to complete your race. They're wanting you to fulfill the will of God for your life. They're wanting you to experience whatever God has called and anointed you to do. They're wanting you to walk that out to the fullest. Again, they don't care what you wear. They don't care how you do your hair. They don't care about any of those natural things, but they are concerned with what's going on in your life spiritually. All right? So they're very much aware of those things. Okay? Now, they uh, simply, people in heaven, are simply enjoying the presence of the Lord and looking forward to the time that we're all back together, again, as I said to you earlier, which to them will only seem like a few moments. Okay? Let's go on. Here's the next thing I want you to see, and that is this. Death for the believer is very easy and seamless. Death for the believer is very easy and seamless. Now, I'm not minimizing you know, if there's physical conditions that are going on that lead to that. But once you're at the threshold of death, uh, I be believe it becomes easier and easier and easier for the believer. What do I mean by that? I, you know, I know I've been, been in the room when uh, people have passed away before. I remember there was an older gentleman that uh, I was helping uh, to take care of. This was many years ago. And uh, he was, had cancer in his body and uh, was on his way uh, to leaving. And uh, he began to see things in the room. He would begin to point and would make mention of, of seeing angels and, and seeing loved ones that were already on the other side. And what that tells me is, is that um, God begins to work. Now, God is so merciful He's so good, y'all, that, that he doesn't want us approaching something like that afraid, okay? And he does everything he can to begin to make that transition as easy and seamless as it can be. Matter of fact, I didn't put this scripture in your notes, but the Old Testament says this, that, that the death of God's saints are very precious to him. It's something very, very important. He doesn't take it lightly. All right. Now I want to show you something. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses two through four, Paul said this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Now what is the third heaven? In the scriptures, there are three references to heaven. There are the heavens, that is the atmosphere immediately around the earth, the scripture says. Then there are the heavens that we know as outer space. And then there's the third heaven, which is the place where God lives, the, the actual place called heaven. And so Paul said this, And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, most historians and theologians believe Paul was talking about himself. There was more than one occasion in Paul's ministry, we know of one in the book of Acts where he was stoned uh, by people that were persecuting him and left for dead. And the Bible says that the the other disciples gathered around him and raised him back up. Most theologians believe that that was this moment that Paul is describing. Now, he chose to leave it in third person, so, uh, you know, which I don't un re understand why he couldn't just say it was me, but, but most people believe that Paul was referring to himself. Now, pay attention to what he says. He says, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know. He said that twice. He said, what I do know is I was caught up to the third heaven and I heard things while I was there that, it, that is, I, I can't tell you about yet. I shouldn't utter those things. And so what I want you to see is, is that that transition for believers is so seamless, you won't even realize you're out of your body. 
you will transition so easily and so seamlessly that you'll just simply cross over. You'll simply step out of your body and you will transition and go to heaven. Now, I love this scripture. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 55. Am I helping anybody this morning? All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Paul said this, O death, where is your sting? O hell, where, or Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me approach this uh, from the negative standpoint. For a sinner to die, it is not so easy. It is not so seamless. And what I mean by that is death has pain to a sinner. Somebody that dies without Christ, the torment starts at death. Okay? Because notice what it says. Paul asked a question, and he's quoting an Old Testament scripture, but he says, O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? For the believer, death has no sting. Sting. I, I love, I, I did some research, some study. That word sting there is actually the word goad, G-O-A-D. And the reason that Paul used that is because there was a tool that they would use to prod oxen along that were pulling carts back in his day, and it was called a goad, all right? And if you really wanted that, that ox to respond, you, you took that tool, which was basically a big fork, if you will, and you'd poke it into that ox and hurt the ox, but it would cause the ox to get moving. And there were times when people would get carried away and take that goad and prod the ox so much that they would fatally wound it. And so what Paul is actually saying is, is, oh, death, where's your goad? Oh, grave, where is your victory? In other words, for the believer, there is no prodding, there is no goad, there's no sting. It's painless. Amen? All right, now, as I begin to wrap this up, let's look at Scripture, and I want to leave you with one last truth today. Have I helped you gain a little more perspective of eternity? Okay, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Since therefore, and this is the Amplified Bible, since therefore these his children share in flesh and blood, talking about us, in the physical nature of human beings, he, Jesus himself, in a similar manner partook of the same nature, that by going through death he might bring to naught and make of no effect him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Somebody says, well, pastor, how do you know that when a sinner dies, it's tormenting to them? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever read about what Jesus experienced when he died on the cross? Now, Jesus was not a sinner in that he practiced sin, but he died as a sinner because I sinned and because you sinned. He died with our sin. So he died as a sinner. And notice the torment that he began to experience as he grew closer and closer to death. It was horrible. Matter of fact, you know, he cried out and, and, and was, was so taken aback by it Although he knew this was what he was going to do and he knew that this was the plan, he was so taken aback by it that he cried out and he said, God, why have you turned your back on me? Why have you forsaken me? That's how I know that, all right? But it says that he himself in a similar manner partook of the same nature that by going through death, look at what he accomplished, he might bring to naught and make of none effect him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. In your life as a believer, the devil has been brought to nothing. That's great, pastor. Thank you. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to amen myself if y'all ain't going to say anything. All right. Verse 15. And also, look at this, he might deliver and completely set free all those who through the haunting fear of death were held in bondage throughout the whole course of their lives. Can I say this to you? There is nothing worse than a believer who knows what their eternal destiny is 
to live their whole life tormented by the fear of death. I can say this to you. I'm not ready to go today or tomorrow, but I'm not afraid to die. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. So here's the last thing I want to leave with you, and that is this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you do not have to fear death. Death is simply a doorway for you and for me, a doorway over into an eternal existence with God that is better and, and, and greater than your wildest imagination. But whatever you do, do not let the devil put fear of dying on you as a believer. Now, an unbeliever, whether they're conscious of it or not, they, sh they should have a fear of dying because it, uh, death would be a horrible thing for a sinner who doesn't know Jesus. That's why we got to tell them. That's why we got to win them. That's why we have to reach them. You know, as I said to you, uh, eternity is too long and hell is too risky for us not to make that decision, but also not to take as many people with us as we possibly can to reach people for Jesus Christ. And so, again, my whole goal in all of this and what I believe the Lord laid this on my heart to accomplish and to minister to you was so that you can begin to think about eternity. Now, listen, listen to me. Live your life to the fullest here. And, and, and somebody says, well, I'm not ready to die. That's okay. It's all right because God has something for you to accomplish. But when that time comes, do not be afraid. Amen? Again, have I helped anybody this morning? Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight, or today rather. And I appreciate, Lord, your word. I thank you, Father, for the truths of your word. I thank you for all that you've brought to me, how you ministered these things to me some 20 years ago. And Lord, I thank you for the privilege that I've had to share them with these precious people to bring hope and comfort and peace on the, in their hearts and in their souls. Father, not only regarding maybe loved ones that have gone on ahead of us, but Father, also to bring us to a place where we're not afraid, where fear is no longer a part of our lives. Like we sang earlier, Father, we're no longer slaves to fear. And Lord, I thank you for that. Thank you for causing these things to become alive in us. Thank you for heaven and that we have that to look forward to. Thank you for our loved ones that have already gone. And Lord, they're looking with anticipation for us to join them. And I thank you, Father, that that time is not far off. That, Lord, your return is sooner than it ever has been. I thank you, Jesus, that we have that blessed hope to live for and to keep in our hearts always before us. Father, in the meantime, though, help us to live our lives according to your will, plan, and purpose. Help us to fulfill the call and anointing upon our lives to help us walk out everything that you have for us to accomplish. And Lord, more than anything, use us, Father, to take as many people to heaven with us, to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to live the life that you have given us before other people so that we can win them to Jesus. And Lord, I thank you for that. Use each and every one of us in that calling. And Father, I praise you for it. Now, before we leave today, I, I never like to assume anything. I know there's you know, a small amount of people here and I know most of you, but I, I would be remiss if I preached a message like this and taught these things where your heart is not aware of eternal things and not give you an opportunity to make the best decision that you could possibly make. And that is to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, to surrender your life to him. The good news is he's already done the hard work. The price has already been paid. He already died for you and me on the cross. And all we have to do is simply receive the free gift of his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. Believe that in our hearts and surrender our lives to him. And then our eternal destiny is settled. And that's all we have to do. Again, Jesus did the work for us. Now, as we live for him, that 
that we will be changed as we live for him and walk in line with the word. And as I said to you in the beginning, that, that God doesn't want us to clean up before we come to him. He says, come to me as you are. And then he goes to work in us to help us to become who he wants us to be. I wanna pray with you today if you need to make that decision or maybe there's just a question mark and you, you're just in a position where you're not sure. I want you to leave this room in just a few moments sure of your eternal destiny that you would spend an eternity of heaven in heaven with the Lord. If that's you today, would you pray this prayer with me? Would you say this after me? Say, Lord Jesus, I believe with all my heart that you died for me. Everybody pray this. I believe that you were raised from the dead and I make you the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Give me a brand new beginning. I commit myself to you, to your will and to your plan for me. Now fill me to the full and overflowing with the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you that I'm clean. And thank you that I'm heaven bound. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.